Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I've got a subject that I want to talk to you about this Sunday and the next. About the subject of marriage. It does not take long to discover the fallacies that we bring with us to the marriage altar. What is a challenge, however, is to discover and to live out the truth of what makes a marriage full and vibrant and life-giving, a source of joy and peace that can be at times a challenge. And that truth has proven itself to be true in my own marriage. Just a moment of transparency here. My bride and I have made about 28 trips around the sun together within the covenant of marriage. And in the early first few years, we had some, I don't know, maybe mild storms uh, that we that hit us and that we walked through. But then about 22 years ago, we had really a gale force storm that came against our lives, our marriage, I believe designed by the enemy to destroy our marriage and our ministry. But God. That's kind of the end of the sentence. But God, exclamation point. You know, there's a lot of places in Scripture where there's the setup of bad news, and then it says, but God. You see, what God did as God delights in doing is He took what was intended for destruction and He turned it out for our blessing. And that wind, that gale force wind that blew through our lives, instead of tearing the house down, what it did is it carried out the chaff of our marriage. The stuff there that should not be there and that storm became a blessing from the Lord. I don't mean he caused it, but he used it. And what we were able to do, at least in part through that, is that we were able to throw some unnecessary cargo over the edge of the ship that we did not need. Most of that was related primarily to my own selfish mentality and misplaced priorities and abdication of spiritual leadership. I say that sincerely. But what happened was our battered ship sailed out of the storm into the sunlight of God's blessing. Now, I'm not trying to say to you in the last 22 years there hasn't been any more uh, storms that have hit. Of course, there have been, but they've been very different, and our view of them has been very different. You see, what they do now is they create a temporary mess as a storm can do, and it's usually because it takes me a little bit of time to get a clue and figure out what I was doing that caused it, and that's the truth. That's the truth. But then we figure that out and we work together to set the house in order. But never again do we face one of those and even question whether the house will stand. We know that it will. It's not even uh, a moment's recognition that there's any other possibility but that it'll stand because it's been built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, and it is unshakable, undefeatable. And what we both know is true is that we're going to continue to take laps around the sun until the Lord calls us home together. We're going to take laps around the sun together until the Lord calls us home. But what we have discovered 
is that marriage with its challenges is both an incredible blessing from God and a tool that God uses to grow us. It is both a blessing and a tool that God uses to grow us when we live it according to the pattern that is set forth in the Word of God. And so to that subject, I invite you this morning and we'll be looking at that subject this week and next week. What does God's Word say about marriage. We're not going to cover, certainly in two weeks, everything that God's Word says about marriage. We're just going to focus in on one passage, really, kind of as our center point, and that's going to be Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, would you please thumb there to Ephesians 5 and put your finger there for a moment? Before we look specifically at what the text says, I want to approach the text with some key foundational truths. Because I think this is a truism that the subject of marriage needs to be deconstructed so that it can be reconstructed on truth. Because there is, I think, a lot of misunderstanding, particularly biblical misunderstanding related to the pattern is given in the Word of God. So let me give you just three kind of foundational truths about God and humanity that we need to approach the subject of marriage with an understanding of. And the first one is this. It's dignity. Dignity. The dignity of womanhood. We could also say the dignity of children and the dignity of servants. But the idea is that our dignity and our worth is related to our identity. It's related to our identity. It's not related to our gender. You see, Jesus treated women with dignity when he walked the shores of this earth. And this is really important for you to understand. He did that into a culture that treated them radically different than that. Jesus did that in a culture in which the majority of the time, women were more like chattel, more like slaves or possessions. But Jesus came and He treated them with dignity and nobility. So, we need to understand that the example of Christ and the truth of the Word of God is that people are to be treated with dignity and honor. Secondly, Equality. Equality. Our value is not determined by race or class or culture or position or economic structure or gender. Our value is not determined by those things. Our value is an issue of our identity. That's the biblical truth. It goes all the way back to the beginning at the creation of the first man and the first woman. They were created in the image of God. That's where our dignity is and our equality is. We were equally man and woman created in the image of God. That's our identity. That's what gives us value. Again, it's not where we come from who we were born to, what our bank account says, or our gender. It's related to being created in the image of God. Value in Christ's eyes is not a sexual topic, a gender topic. It's a spiritual topic. And we were created as spiritual beings in the image of God. Thirdly, unity. 
unity. Paul, in Ephesians, writes a letter about what is true of us as followers of Christ being in Christ. What is true of everyone who is in Christ. It's a letter about the truth of the unity and the blessing that we have as followers of Christ because we are in Him. And all of us deserved not to be there. But Jesus loved us too much to leave us in our rebellion and He left heaven and took on humanity and pursued us to the cross, to the grave, and through resurrection so that He could make us His own. And having done that, we are unified in Him. You know, when we come to the cross, we come to level ground. Nobody stands any higher than anybody else next to the cross of Jesus Christ. All equally in need of a Savior. All equally guilty before a holy God. All equally deserving of God's eternal wrath. And having been redeemed and declared righteous by God, we are united together. So when we come to the discussion of what God's Word says specifically to a wife and a husband, we need to make sure that we understand that some foundational things that that truth needs to be built upon is the dignity of every person, our equality that's related to our identity as being created in the image of God and being recreated in Christ, and then our unity as followers of Christ. We need to hear and see and understand the truth through those lenses. And then in Ephesians 5, understand that Paul is writing here to a Christian household, to a Christian wife and a Christian husband, admonishing them to flesh out their Christianity with the truth about Christ and them. So it's with that introduction now that we come to Ephesians chapter 5. And what we're going to do is we're going to take this just as it comes. And the way that it comes in order here, this is probably considered the primary passage in the New Testament about marriage. There's another key passage in Colossians. Both of them come in this order. The wife is addressed first, and then the husband. So that's the order that we're going to use. We're going to follow the order of Scripture. And wives, this is your Sunday, this Sunday. In this passage from verses 22 down to the end of the chapter, one section to the wives, one to the husbands, there's really two instructions given. And I, it's, I think it's really critical that I point this out. Let me get through it, and I think it'll make sense. There's really two instructions given. Would you just say that? Two instructions, ready, go. Two instructions. And then those two instructions are given to two people. Two people. Two instructions to two people. Each one is given one instruction. Each person is given an instruction. Let me show you what they are. This is kind of the outline for this Sunday and the next. Verse 22 is one primary instruction where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. The second one in verse 25 to the husbands where it says, Husbands, love your wives. So what we're going to be talking about this Sunday and the next, 
This Sunday, wives submit to your husbands. Next Sunday, husbands love your wives. And the reason I pointed that out is that if we're going to be true to the Word of God, what we're going to need to do if we're properly interpreting the text is we're going to need to keep those two statements in focus. They are the theme of these verses, the directive to the wife and the directive to the husband. And he talks about why he gives those and what it looks like. And so we're going to unpack this truth by keeping a focus on those two statements. This morning's is, wives, submit to your husbands. Let me just read 5, 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I just, maybe good for me to say this, I understand that this can come off so hard to hear or so harsh just doing nothing but reading the text. But the reason that happens often is because of misuse in the past of the text. It's because of some background that has skewered what the text really intends to say. And so the best way that I know to clear that up is to do my best to show you clearly what it does say and doesn't say. And if you understand that, particularly ladies, to you, this will not be a threat. It will not be a threat. First of all, I'm going to give you several bullet points under this sentence. If the call here is for wives to submit to their husbands, what should a wife's submission look like? And I'm just going to give you several bullet points to try to flesh that out. This word submission, it is a word that was used as a military term. It means uh, to be in rank under. It means to yield to to subject yourself to or to submit to the lead of another. So what is a wife's submission to look like? Here's the first bullet point. It is mutual. It's to be a mutual submission. We started reading in verse 22, but what I want you to do is look up to Ephesians 5, verse 21. The verse immediately preceding this. What Paul is doing here in Ephesians is he is writing to the entire church and he's setting down some basic principles of Christian conduct in Christian life. And what he's going to do when he gets to verse 22 is he's going to take that general instruction and he's going to turn it down to a spotlight or a laser beam and he's going to start talking about individual roles like a wife and a husband and a child and a slave and a master. So he's setting out some grand overarching principles, and then he gets specific and starts talking about what those principles will look like in individual lives. And so here's a grand overarching statement in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Followers of Christ are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to defer to one another. We are to yield to one another. We're not to claim our rights. We're not to be quick to stand up for our rights and demand our way. We are to, like Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, to consider others better than ourselves. We're to put on the attitude of Christ who willingly, though he was God, became servant of man. That's the idea. That if we're going to walk in the way that Jesus walked, we're going to walk with a servant-hearted 
servant lifestyle. We are going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. General principle. Then he comes and he begins to speak specifically to some roles within the home. But the first point here is that submission is to be mutual. And Jesus is the example. Jesus is the one who traded his scepter of ultimate power for the towel of a servant. Jesus is the one who never sleep or slumbered, but came and slept in an animal feeding trough. He's the one that throughout all of human history set kings on thrones and took down kingdoms, and yet he needed to be clothed and he needed to be fed. He is the sovereign who became the servant. And we are followers of Christ. And so the call is to us to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for him, recognizing he's the Lord and this is what he did. So wives, first of all, understand that the submission is a mutual submission. Number two, it's personal. It's personal. Now, listen up, husbands. If you're a, if you're a husband, would you just raise your hand? If you're a husband, would you raise your hand? If you're a Man, would you raise your hand? If you're a male gender, would you raise your hand, okay? This is for you. Now, what I'm going to say, I'm saying to you. And I'm going to say this several times because I know you, you're like me. It's hard to get it through sometimes. So I'm going to say it several times. Men, God here in Ephesians 5 verse 22 is addressing the more shapely gender. Do you hear that? Let me read it again for you. Wives. Let me say that again. Wives. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to husbands? No. He's talking to? Talking to wives. Let me say it again. Gentlemen, this is a note from God to the wife. Let me say what it's not. It's not a note from God to the husband for the wife. Are you getting my drift here? The note does not say, Husbands, have your wives submit. Does does anybody's Bible in here read that way? If it does, wrong Bible. There's a garbage right in the back. This is not an instruction to equip the husband on the finer points of husbandry. It's written to who? The wife. It's written to the wife. God does not need you to relate the memo here that he's given to the wife. He's speaking to the wife she can read. Okay, are we good? We got that point? It is a personal submission. It's a mutual submission, number one. Number two, it's a personal submission. Brings us to number three. The submission that God is instructing here through the pen of Paul for a wife and what her submission is to look like, it is to be voluntary. It's a voluntary submission. The Word used here in the Greek, the verb in the Greek, it is given in the middle voice. It is pointing to the voluntary action, the willingness of a wife to submit herself. Not to be submitted by the husband, but it is a word from God to the wife for her to willingly make the decision to voluntarily submit herself under the authority of her husband. If you, with an open heart and mind, will look clearly at what the text says, that is undeniable. It is exactly what this is calling for. It is calling for a voluntary action that the wife 
makes. Wives, submit yourself. You see, let me just point out a contrast to that to make it even more plain. Sometimes a word is used, I think it used to be very common in, in marriage ceremonies uh, for a wife to obey. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 tells children to obey. Do you know that's a different word than the word used for the wife's submission? Different word. The word in speaking to children there in the sixth chapter, it's basically saying to the children that the child is given a direct command to obey. Here the wife is told to willingly submit herself under her husband's authority. You see, another way to look at this is self-submission isn't a loss of dignity. It's not a loss of dignity. It's really a demonstration of a person who voluntarily places themselves under the authority of another, serving willingly. And a person that does that, I mean, just think about that for a minute. That kind of a person that does that they are clearly shown to be a person with dignity if they have the fortitude in order to do that. A person that refuses and says, no, I want to demand my own rights and I want to have my own way and I want to not be under anyone. I want to rule and lead forcefully. That's not a character of dignity but a person that willingly, voluntarily places themselves under the leadership of another, we respect that because that is a hard thing to do in humanity. So, what does a wife's submission to look like? It is mutual, it is personal, and it is voluntary. Number four, it's specific. It's specific. Look again at the text. I want you to see that what we're doing is we're coming back every time to the text to see what it really is saying. And if you look close, it says, Wives, submit to everybody else's husband. Is that right? No, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. This is a specific Submission. It is not a blanket statement of male superiority at all. It is a statement about a role that God has established in a home where the husband is the head of the wife. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But the point I'm making here is it's specific. A wife is called to submit to her husband. Not to every husband, not to every man, but to her husband. Next, what's a wife's submission to look like? It's a role. R-O-L-E. It's a role. What do I mean by that? Look at the text again. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. You see, the point there is, the illustration is Christ and His bride, the church. The church, did you know, the church is called the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. Christ is the head of the bride, and the church is the body of Christ. And so, there are different roles that Christ performs that the body performs. Different roles. And the point Paul is making here is that the husband is the head of the wife. The head has a certain role to play. 
The wife has another role to play. That is not a val- again, that's not a value statement. It's a role. It's a function. But it's a function of incredible significance. Let me just carry forth the illustration for a minute. How did Jesus Christ treat the church? Did Jesus give us anything to do? Hello? Are you guys here? Did Jesus give us anything to do? He told us to go into all the world and make disciples. He gave us the responsibility of the greatest campaign of human history. Not only that, He said, I'm going to send you the Spirit who's going to live within you, and He's going to use you to partner with Me to get this thing done. You are actually going to be empowered, entrusted with the greatest power in the universe, the very power of God. And what the power of God's going to do is He's going to gift you differently. That means that You're going to have some gifts, and you're going to have some different gifts, and you're going to have some different gifts, but you need to use them uniquely as God made you. And what will happen is that as you do that, you're partnering with God to go take this campaign and move it forward so that God is glorified as disciples are made, as the lost are found, and the found are grown, and those who are empowered are sent out. Just like those three statements on the wall over there. You see, Christ gave an incredible, significant role for the church to perform. And in that role, there's an incredible amount of value and dignity and honor. And husbands, in some semblance of that, it's not perfect because the husband is certainly not the Lord. But there are roles But the wife's role is significant, like the bride of Christ's role is significant. It's not a devalued position, and it is one in which, just like the church, right, we're unique, each gifted individually with our own personalities, in the same way the wife is a person, she has a personality. She has a skill set. She has uniquenesses. And those are to be brought out because when they are, then what she was designed to do takes place. It's not for her to be pushed down and just kind of follow around behind the husband. No, there's something significant there. There's the model that's being shown here. The illustration is Christ as the head and the church, his bride as the body, and the husband is the head of the wife. The wife is in partnership then. There is an incredible role for her to perform. It's a role. It's not a value statement. Submission, it's a role. It's intended to be a governing principle, the principle of headship or authority. It's intended to be a governing principle within which the roles of the home are defined and tempered by the lordship of Christ. Let me say that again. This principle of headship, husband, head of the wife, it's intended to be a governing principle of the home under which the roles of the home are defined and tempered by the lordship of Christ. In other words, the husband is to love as Christ loved the church. His love is to be qualified by and tempered by the example of the love that Christ had for the church. The wife is to submit to her husband as to the Lord, recognizing the lordship of Jesus and the role that he placed her in. It's a role. What else is a wife's submission to look like? This next point flows right out of the last, that the submission is ultimately to Christ. The submission is ultimately to Christ. Again, let's look at the text. Keep coming back and digging deep 
in trying to see what is the author, Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, saying here, and what it looks like he does in verse 24, is he piles it on so thick it's almost hard to swallow. And I'm a man saying that. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit should submit in everything to their husbands. Ouch. That almost makes me nervous as a husband. But the point here is that Paul is making, that the text everywhere makes, is that the issue is the lordship of Jesus. It's a recognition of who Jesus is. Not who the husband is in his quality of character. In other words, it doesn't say this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for someone of such noble character and profound wisdom and superior intellect. It doesn't say that. It does not say that. It says, wives, submit as to the Lord. In other words, as you carry out your role within the home, what you're ultimately doing is serving the Lord in that role. So what's a wife's submission to look like? It's mutual, it's personal, it's voluntary, it's specific, it's a role, it's to Christ, and then it's a partnership. It's a partnership that comes back to what I already read there about headship in verse 23. It's a partnership just like Jesus Christ gave the church an incredible task and entrusted the church with incredible resources, even the very person of the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within and that all of the gifts and the riches of God are in Christ for every follower of Christ. What an incredible thing He's entrusted to us. We get to partner with Him and the wife partners with the husband toward the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan for their lives and for the home. You see, it's not to keep the woman down. It's to help her become all that God wants her to be. We're going to talk about that next week. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, next week as we focus on the men, we're coming with the lion's share of the text. So guys, you cannot be gone next Sunday. Wise, write that down. It's a partnership. A partnership in which when the husband does what he's instructed to do in verses 25 and beyond, he comes alongside the wife in a role of sacrificial spiritual leadership and he helps her to develop and become all that God wants her to be, not keeps her down and makes her what he wants her to be. It's all about the Lord, remember? It's about God's design and God's plan and God's will. All under the Lordship of Christ. And then finally... What's a woman's submission to be like? It's quantified. It's quantified. Again, the words are, as the church submits to Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands. Let me just try to make that specific. There is a limit set on the submission of a wife to her husband. And what is that limit? Here's the limit. There's a higher authority than the husband and that authority is Jesus. Meaning this, practically speaking, if the husband ever tells the wife to do something that Christ has not permitted her to do, she is, has a higher authority over the husband that she is to submit to and that is to Jesus because it's all to be done under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So this submission, this idea of 
being under the leadership of another, of voluntarily submitting to one another. It is a personal choice to place yourself under the divinely instituted leadership of your husband in an act of trust, in reverence for, and service to Jesus Christ. Now let me just clear up a couple of questions that could potentially rise. First question is this. So who makes the decisions? Who makes the decisions? In this model here in Ephesians, who makes the decisions? Well, I believe the answer to that biblically is that decisions must give way to discernment as both seek the will of the Lord and try to follow the will of the Lord in agreement together. Secondly, who rules? Who rules? Again, I believe the biblical model is that rules give way to responsibility as both strive to honor God in their respective roles. And then number three, who yields the power? Again, I believe the biblical answer is that power must give way to promise as both commit to living for the enrichment of the other, the promise to defer and to live for the betterment of the other. Neither one saying, here's what I want, here's what I demand, but here's what I believe God would have me to do towards you to help you become all that you can be. So, come to a point of application then. That's a fair question too. Fair question for a wife. How does a wife do that? How does a wife live in biblical submission? Talked about what it looks like, what it means, but the key issue is the Bible is not meant to increase your knowledge. It's meant to change your life right? It's meant to be applied. And so how does a wife do that? Let me just give you two answers from Scripture here. The first one we can find in Ephesians 5.18, just two verses before Paul launches in to this instruction about the roles within the home. He gives this overarching principle about the Christian life that is a key to an enabling every aspect of the Christian life. And he says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. How does a wife live out biblical submission? She needs to be filled with the Spirit of God to do that. It's otherworldly. It's not quite exactly the human natural proclivity to do. It is something that the Spirit of God enables you to do. The wife needs to be filled with the Spirit. So here's a fair question. How does that happen? Let me just give you a couple of bullet points. First of all, you got to be saved. You have to be saved. You don't have the Spirit of God unless you're saved. When you're saved, everyone saved gets the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes to live within them, not necessarily filling them, but at least comes to reside within them. That's the first step. Point is this. If you're here this morning and you are a husband or a wife and you're unsaved, you're never going to be able to live out the model that is biblically portrayed here until you are saved, until you are regenerated and God takes you from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive so that you see and understand and can apply the truth. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God, if that is you right now, is calling you and drawing you and helping you to see your need of a Savior and that God wants to forgive you and grant you forgiveness through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So first, you've got to be saved. Secondly, 
those who are saved, they need to sincerely desire to glorify Christ. They need to sincerely desire to glorify Christ. The Christian life is a growth process. It happens instantly in a moment when God declares you righteous, but then from that moment you go from being dead to alive, from being unsaved to saved, from being unrighteous to righteous, but then for the rest of your life you've got to learn to flesh that out in daily living. And so what happens is as you grow in your Christian walk, what happens as we mature is we come to this understanding, wow, it's really all about God. It's really all about God's glory. It's really all about me living right here, not for my own pleasures and desires, but it's about me living to make God famous and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. As you grow in your Christian maturity, you're going to come to understand that. I know that happens to every believer through a process of life development because that's what the Spirit of God is working in you. He is working in you to glorify Jesus Christ. And so that desire as it is birthed and is growing in you, you need to feed that. You need to long more and more to live for the glory of God. Number three, how are you filled with the Spirit? You need to recognize your utter dependency upon the Spirit to live this kind of a life. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You need daily dependency on the person of the Holy Spirit in your life, leading, directing, protecting, guiding, correcting, disciplining, equipping, all of those things. And then fourthly, to be filled with the Spirit, then just ask for it. If you're saved and you're desiring to live for the glory of God and you recognize your absolute utter dependency to live a life that glorifies Christ, cry out and ask for Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, if you're a heavenly father and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's why Paul admonished us in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. It's to be, in the word, there's an ongoing uh, verb. It's to keep on being filled. We're engaging in this dirty, dark, lost world and our human flesh drags us down and we need to continue to submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and seek to live in the fullness of the Spirit of God. So wives, how do you live a life of biblical submission to your husband, you need to be filled with the Spirit and be seeking that, be moving toward that. Not perfection, but be moving toward that. And then secondly, be rich in God's Word. And really those two things go together. Being filled with the Spirit and being rich in God's Word go together. The other parallel passage that's in Ephesians is from Colossians where it says basically very similar truths about marriage, just more condensed in Colossians. But listen to what Paul writes in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. This is the precursor to him turning the spotlight upon Christian marriage. This is what he says right before he starts talking about the roles in the home. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here's the connection. That kind of a thankful life filled with joy, it happens as you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you take the truth of God's Word under the leadership of the Spirit of God and He is saturating your life and your mind and your heart and your understanding and your will and your emotions with the truth of the Word of God, then when you're living in the richness of the Word of God, wives, you can live out the biblical model of submission. Those two things go hand in hand, the fullness of the Spirit in being rich in the Word of God because the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make you like the Son of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the children of God to make you like the Son of God for the glory of God. That's the process.
in the way that we say no to our human tendencies and yes to the truth of God is to seek to live in the fullness of the Spirit, being rich in His Word. And if you'll do that, wives, you'll find that God will give you the strength to do it in your flesh you can never do. Now, husbands, come hungry next week and ready to take the lion's share of the text about what God says to you as a husband. Would you please stand? I'm going to say a a prayer of closing here, but what I want to do is if you are here and you want to be prayed for, by the way, there is no shame in that. I stood here as this message started and was transparent with you and said, I've had marriage problems of my own that I, when I had those, I went and had some people pray for me and got godly counsel. There's no shame in that. We, to think that you are independent and self-reliant and you can do it on your own, you are fooling yourself. God never intended it to be like that. He intended us to courage and spur one another on and to pray for one another and hold each other accountable. That's the way it's supposed to work in the kingdom of God. So if you want to be prayed for, you come to one of these altars and I or one of our elders or pastors will just come and pray for you, over you, for God to bless you. Let's pray and then we'll sing. You can come. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the model that you gave us for marriage. Thank you for the covenant of marriage that you gave it to us in wisdom and in love to be an incredible blessing to our lives. God, help me as a husband to follow the role given me in Ephesians 5, Lord, so that I can align with the Lordship of Christ and be a blessing to my wife, helping her to become all God wants her to be. And pray that you'd help the husbands in this room to do that and the wives to do their part. And those marriages could be a testimony for your glory. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.